You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, UFC 256 was what we thought it was going to be, and I mean that in a positive way. We had uh, theorized last week that UFC 256 shaped up as the kind of event that probably wasn't going to do a huge number in the pay-per-view buy rate department, but that it could potentially serve up a bunch of fun fights. And it did, man. I would even say it overachieved. Probably one of the better UFC cards we have seen in recent memory, of course, capped off with Davis and Figueredo's majority draw with Brandon Moreno, uh, Charles Oliveira's shockingly easy victory over Tony Ferguson in the co-main event. How was your... uh, how was your Saturday night? How did this go down for you? Can you imagine going briefly back in time to like last week and telling us that UFC 256 was going to end in a majority draw and everybody would come away going, wow, this was awesome. <laughs> How often does that happen? That never happens. This was a weirdly satisfying majority draw. Yeah, I agree. And as I think we'll end up discussing a little bit later on, maybe one of the best things that could happen for the featherweights at this point, because now you can go ahead and book an immediate rematch that there will probably be more of a desire to see than there was the initial fight, just because of the name recognition associated with both guys in it. But top to bottom, this, I say, was probably the best UFC event of the year. Yeah, flyweights. Uh one of the things about this this entire card is that it just kind of reminds me that the UFC roster continues to be and has been for a long time an embarrassment of riches. And we will get into this a little bit more as we go. But uh, big wins here from Cyril Gaon, Kevin Holland, Mackenzie Dern, Charles Oliveira, Raphael Fiziev. I mean, when Cub Swanson is your bit part player, when Cub Swanson is hanging around uh, getting this knockout win over Daniel Pineda, and then and, and and he's he's a guy you're not necessarily counting on to serve up something good from you, but does go out there and and just starches someone. That's when you know you got a deep roster. When like yeah. Cub Swanson is a dude, you don't even have to really count on if he shows up and does something nice. So be it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, if all the patrons down there at Cubby Sampson's keeping their six feet away, wearing their masks, all that kind of stuff. You yeah, know, they strict, loved it. Strict social distancing. Yeah. Down at Cubby Sampson's Bar and Grill. Yeah. I heard Cubby Sampson had it out with the health department a couple times, but, uh, you know, anything to keep the doors open, you know, they're going to be packing it in to watch him do his damn thing at UFC 256. And you're right. Just when you see at, like the level of talent and the just diversity of awesome fights delivered here, you realize the UFC does have a deep well to draw from. And maybe kind of fitting that this, even in a terrible year where we just kind of struggled on through COVID positive after COVID positive, you end up with a pretty kick-ass fight card just because you have so many kick-ass fighters you can rely on and you can call them up. And sooner or later, you're going to get some people together who could do the damn thing. 
Yeah, you know, the state of the UFC's product right now would actually make having that time machine where someone could come back in time from next week extremely worthwhile because someone could come back in time from the following week and be like, man, you really should watch UFC 256. Like, this one is going to be great. Check it out. No spoilers now from the time travelers, but at least you would know this This is worth my time. This is something I can look forward to and devote my time to. So you're saying that that would be a good time to have a time machine? Yes. As opposed handy. to all the bad times where you just it would, you just wouldn't even want one. Well, I mean, we've we've all read some Ray Bradbury in our time, Ben. True. But butterfly effect and all that. True. Dangerous business with the time travel. Just ask Dr. Sam Beckett. He leaps from life to life trying to set right what once was wrong, but it turns out it's not as easy as you think. <laughs> he gets it done, though. He does, but if I'm not mistaken, at the end of Quantum Leap, he's like trapped in the leaps for the rest of his life. Like, he never manages to leap back to his, his real life. I'd be kind of disappointed if he did manage to leap back, to be honest with you. Yeah, I guess that we would, things would be even worse if we didn't have Sam Beckett around, like, uh, course correcting historical events. This is, an interesting, this is a conversation I did not foresee us having. You know today. what? Can any, this show can go anywhere. If here, for example, if you're still having a hard time buying a Christmas gift for that person on your list that's so hard to buy for, just going to remind you, I got not one but two novels on sale right now. Champion of the World is in paperback. If your dad or your mom likes history or wrestling or doing crimes, go check that out for them. Speaking of doing crimes, if you got a mystery lover on your list, you can grab a copy of The Blaze. That's my latest novel, a mystery, a thriller. I've been hearing from a lot of the little co-maniacs out there that they think it's pretty good. Grab a copy for yourself. Treat yourself. I don't care. Remember, if you have read it or you do read it and you enjoy it, go leave me a five-star review over on Amazon or Goodreads or wherever you like. Those reviews do help the book. Do me a favor. Buy, read, rate, review The Blaze or Champion of the World for someone you love this Christmas. Thanks. Uh, to be clear, week, though, you don't, you don't actually have to like doing crimes yourself. There's just kind of like reading about crimes. Let's I'm not, not give tell, people the wrong idea. I'm not going to tell people how to live their life. Okay. Do whatever you want. You know what we're doing over on the Patreon page this week? We're watching Lethal Weapon. Talk about doing some crimes. Now, Lethal Weapon, you're going to have to refresh my memory. It's been a long time since I uh, since I watched it. This was your choice for alternative Christmas movie. That is which correct. We're doing the next couple weeks, and then we're going to spend January doing uh, martial arts movies. Does Lethal Weapon take place at Christmas? What's Christmassy about Lethal Weapon? Yeah takes place at Christmas. It's a real kind of Christmas in LA vibe. Okay. At one point, Mel Gibson's character will even refer to it as the silly season. Hmm. I like it. Keep an eye out for that. We got music this week from our guy, Foreign Cash, our group. I guess there are guys. It's a group, Foreign Cash, C-A-C-H-E, an LA-based production duo. If you like what you hear from them on the show, you can check out more over at foreigncash.bandcamp.com or soundcloud.com slash foreign cash. Three rounds as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Figgy Smalls, Figgy Pop, Davy Figs, whatever you want to call him, Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno put on perhaps the greatest majority draw of all time on Saturday night. And yes, that is a compliment. And in round number two, CME listener David Lotteray would like to put forth the nickname King Chuck for Charles Oliveira. And after last weekend, it kind of fits. And in round number three, don't look now, but after a Cracker Jack UFC 256, the fight company has another card coming up this weekend that also looks potentially dope. 
all that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff but first like we always do about this time let's do a little bit of listener mail listener mail first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from bruce springsteen oh you know you don't you don't think when you start an MMA podcast that you will eventually hear from Bruce Springsteen, but I'm glad we did. Now, here's how you know the boss is a hardcore fan because he's, you know, UFC 256 just in the books. He's not even going to mention that. He's just going to write in and say, Yoel Romero versus Rumble Johnson, 205 pounds, Bellator 2021 discourse. Okay. You know, now that the situation over there at Bellator our concept of what they're doing has changed a little bit just since last week. Now that you know you're going to have UL Romero over there, you're going to have Rumble Johnson. UL Romero is going to be looking to fight at 205, maybe even heavyweight. Who knows? Is this about the time when the wind whispers Grand Prix and Scotty Cokes' ear? Because you could do a whole lot worse, my man. The Grand Prix tournaments have already been a kind of knockout success for Bellator so far. You want to roll into 2021. You're looking to wrap up this featherweight Grand Prix somewhat soon. How about you think about a 205 pound Grand Prix? You got UL Romero, you got Rumble Johnson, you got Corey Anderson, you got the champ Vadim Nimkov. He could do the thing where he puts the belt up throughout the entire thing. You know, you got uh, Phil Davis and Ryan Bader. I mean, you could fuck around and have yourself a good time. You absolutely could. And you, you're kidding yourself if you don't think Scotty Cokes hasn't thought about it, that he, if he hasn't written it on the whiteboard at Bellator HQ, L, LHW Grand Prix question mark written up there on the board, you know he has because uh, Scotty Cokes loves himself a tournament. We all know that as an unequivocal fact. Uh now, this is an interesting one, though. Obviously, Rumble Johnson sort of surprised. We talked about that on Friday during the Power Hour, that he seemed uh, full tilt toward a return to the UFC and all of a sudden pops up in Bellator with a signing. Uh, you know, really uh, tweaks the curiosity there as to what transpired to uh, to make Rumble Johnson cross the aisle. Dana White was a little bit tight-lipped about that this past weekend at UFC 256. Basically said, you got to ask Rumble. Uh but initially, the Bellator had passed, we heard, on Yoel Romero, and now he's going to circle back and nab him up. Does this, in your mind, uh, put the lie to the idea that Bellator is not really uh, interested in scooping up these these older UFC castoffs? And the truth might be, during a time when everyone in MMA is tightening the belt a little bit amid the pandemic with everything that's been going on, trademark symbol, that maybe uh, Bellator just can't afford guys like Anderson Silva, and maybe it gets the chance to get Rumble Johnson, and after initially passing on you all Romero to cir- circle back and get him for what it considers to be a uh, a reasonable and fair price. Yeah, I mean, there's it's also worth considering that you're looking at different value propositions when you look at UL Romero right now and Anderson Silva right now. Yeah, UL Romero seems to have probably a little bit more in the tank than Anderson Silva does. And I don't know, it's also possible that in testing out the free agency market after suddenly becoming uh, free and clear, Yoel Romero found that maybe maybe things were a little tighter out there than he thought. Yeah, probably not a great time to be a free agent, I wouldn't think, despite the fact that uh, the UFC is also going to shoot its mouth off about how much money it made this year. Yeah, well, that's always a fun thing to do where you can't 
can't pay anybody more money, but uh, by the way, we kicked absolute ass this year. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, 60 of you people are going to lose your jobs. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you who they are. And on that note, I'm going on vacation on a luxury yacht. Merry Christmas. Next question this week comes to us. For, oh, just by the way, circle back to the boss. Yoel Romero versus Rumble Johnson. Maybe the best fight you could make outside the UFC right now. It's a good one. I mean, that's some Woodwatch shit right there. Yeah, everyone's going to want to see that. First round of the Grand Prix. Just saying. I mean, that would make it doubly awesome right there. Next question this week comes from old school CME listener Jared Crowley. Haven't heard from him in a while. Nice to know he's still out there. He writes, free bacon-wrapped mozzarella sticks at Cubby Sampson's tonight. Come on down. This obviously a response to Swanson's second-round KO over Daniel Pineda there in the uh, featured prelim at UFC 256. The 37-year-old Kevin Luke Swanson going to go out there, Ben, and uh, get his second win in a row. First one, though, first fight of 2020, first win since October of 2019 uh, with this uh, sleeper of Daniel Pineda there a couple minutes into the first or second round, hurt him at the end of the first, came back, knocked him out a couple minutes into the second. Looked good, too. Yeah, he did. I feel like Cub Swanson is a guy we can all agree on right now. He's a uh, he's just it's just uh, heartwarming to see him do good. I feel. You know what was really enjoyable for me was after we started talking about Cub Swanson. After he gets this win, everybody feels good about it. And on Twitter, I saw a bunch of people sharing their stories of interactions that had like meeting Cub Swanson at events, and the stories all kind of followed the same arc, which is. I kind of was nervous and acting fumbly like an idiot and Cub Swanson was super cool about it. Like one of the stories and included a guy with me like, I was trying to take a picture of us together on my phone and I couldn't get it. And Cub was like, just let me do it. Took my phone, took a great picture of the two of us. And, you know, at a time when it seems, as we've said before, like the worst thing you can do with any fighter you're becoming a fan of is to learn more about them. Mm -hmm. That's refreshing. Refreshing to have all these people be like, yeah, I met him and he was super awesome. And we can all just get together and unproblematically enjoy watching the guys fights. I agree. Good to see Cub Swanson get a win over the weekend. Next question this week comes to us from Peter DeVries, who I feel like maybe wrote his name phonetically for me here on the uh, okay on the listener mail, which I appreciate. He Never writes, a bad idea. So Raphael Faziv Sort of starches baby face Tanato Moicano, puts his hat and jacket on so fast you think he was worried the cops were going to show up, then cracks me up in the post fight. His Wikipedia page says, quote, he enjoys blacksmithing with it with an emphasis on cold steel arms. Can we put this guy on the list of guys? Because he seems like a guy. Does say that outside of fighting, Raphael Faziv enjoys blacksmithing with an emphasis on cold steel arms. And uh, the... Citation for that is a story called Raphael Faziv Designing the Matrix from FightLibrary.com. Hmm. Okay. Now, see, this the arrival of a dude like Raphael Faziv just goes to show you that not only is UFC 256 an awesome fight card exceeding expectations, but this is the first time in a while where I have, have felt deep in my brain's heart legitimately bullish about the future of the UFC product because you get 
a ton of next generation talents on this thing who come through and pick up big wins, including Chase Hooper in his early 20s, Raphael Fazeev, who I believe is 27, Cyril Gaon, who is 30, Kevin Holland, who is what, 28, something like that, uh, and Mackenzie Dern, who is 27, plus you got Charles Oliveira, who we'll talk about later, has been in the UFC forever, but is still in his in his early 30s and coming into his prime. Again, I used the term embarrassment of riches earlier, and I'm just going to stick to that. Raphael Fazeev is one of these dudes that in the lightweight division, I really can't wait to see how he develops because he is such a technician and a specialist at this point in his striking and the the punches that he landed to knock out Hanato Moicano, uh, who was a durable guy who is hard to finish in his own right, uh, were just breathtaking in a way. And Moicano tried to tried to pass the what the fuck test immediately following the stoppage and failed to do that. So I think you got a good stoppage on your hands here. But I'll be honest with you, Ben, almost the most impressive thing I saw from Raphael Fazeev in this fight was the ease with which he stuffed the the, the handful of takedown attempts from Moicano, because if Raphael Fazeev can keep it on the feet, he is going to be a problem for almost everyone. Yeah. And he did just have a, like a very comfortable, smooth style there. Absolutely flattened Moicano. Yeah. You know, like that, that, that was impressive. I, I also saw him in the post fight afterwards where uh, somebody was saying like, you know, we got candy here in the back if you, since you've been watching your diet and everything. And he said in what I think he meant to be a casual tone, but ended up being terrifying. I will take it. I was like, well, okay. Uh, anybody, if you got candy on your in your pockets right now, you better empty it out. Don't make Raphael Fazeev come looking for it with some cold steel arms. Yeah, no, because he will, and and you're not going. He's going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Quite frankly, I'm still unsure on what cold steel arms really means. I assume that's like swords and whatnot, right? <laughs> it's just, it's just a classy way to say he likes to make swords and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Battle I mean, I'm not mad at it. Maybe. Big old mace. Maybe Raphael Fazib fuck around, make you a mace. You know what? We we put the whole idea of the CME weapons room on the back burner for a while. But if we can get some commissioned items from Raphael Fazib. Giant hammer. I'd like to get Raphael Fazib make me a giant ass hammer. War hammer. That's what I want. What are you going to do with that hammer? I don't know. Pound some nails. Anything you want. That's Anything I want. Next question as we comes to us from Nobby Buckles, who writes, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Nobby. I would like two tickets for the Kevin Holland hype train, please. I'm very sad for Jock Array, but MMA is so unforgiving to aging athletes. Sometimes all I feel like I can do is toss one back and tip my cap to the memories as I hitch my wagon to the next rising star. Is Kevin Holland actually going to be good? Or is he just a long-limbed freak who we'll all get excited about and then will eventually break our hearts? Long, long-limbed freak indeed. Six foot three for your guy, Kevin Holland, and putting every inch of it to work out there in the octagon. Five wins in a row now in 2020. Uh, let me ask you this before we even start. With the draw in the main event, did Kevin Holland sneak up in here with his KO victory over Jacare a minute and 45 seconds into the first round and snatch the fighter of the year trophy out of the arms of Davis and Figueredo. Or I say what, no. What you saw in the majority draw still good enough to give your guy Davy figs. He of the red streak on one side of his head, the, uh, the fighter of the year award. Yeah, no 
Figgy Smalls is still my fighter of the year. But Kevin Holland is not that far behind, and he did have himself a whole hell of a year. And then to, to finish Jacare and to finish him like that, to stun him with a punch off of his back, just kind of like rocking himself through f- with forward momentum from the guard, and then to just dive on the man as he is slowly melting backwards into the fence and throw it on him like that. I mean, that's an impressive finish. And, uh, you know, we were talking, uh, I was talking with uh, Sean Alshadi before this one about like who we thought had the highest ceiling on the undercard. And I said Kevin Holland just because you look at him and how he fits into this weight class. And right now you think, okay, the danger is that he might get forced a little too far too fast. But I think you give that guy an ample opportunity to develop. He seems like he could really be something there. The thing that is amazing to me about Kevin Holland is not only did he nab five wins this year to be one of the breakout stars of pandemic MMA, uh, he fought four times from November 2018 to November 2019. So in just a shade over two years, this man fought nine times in the UFC and is eight and one overall got choked uh, by Brendan Allen in October of 2019. Other than that, nothing but wins for Kevin Holland. He seems to me like a guy, I should say nothing but wins over that stretch. Uh, He seems to me like a guy who could in fact really be a capital G guy at 185 pounds. Like he's got the, he's definitely got the size. Uh, He's got a, a, a fun to watch style. He seems to have an engaging personality uh, just a, a, a lot to like right now about Kevin Holland, not to not the least of which is an absolute highlight reel heart stopping KO of Jacare Souza. Just craziness to finish him while they're both on the ground like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while. Next question this week comes to us from old time movie star Lon Chaney. Okay. <laughs> so a uh, couple of. Couple of famous people checking in here this week. How far can Mackenzie Dern go with a rudimentary striking? For such a highly touted prospect, I would expect a crisp jab, but instead it looks like an extreme seizure discourse. Uh I mean, here's the thing, man. Like Mackenzie Dern, she goes out there and, and decisions uh Virna Jandaroba in this uh, women's strawweight fight in the main card of UFC 256. I feel like the striking of Mackenzie Dern already looks leaps and bounds better than it did before. Yeah. So like, I know that we're going to have some fun and say that it looks sloppy and like rudimentary, but I feel like I was watching this fight kind of be kind of thinking to myself, wow, Mackenzie Dern is a really good athlete. If she's going to make these kind of strides in the standup game, just from where we saw her a couple months ago against random Marcos. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing to focus on here is not necessarily just what does she look like at this very moment, but what does she look like in in comparison with prior versions of her? And you see some signs of improvement. You also see one of the things that I found to be an encouraging sign for Mackenzie Dern was she goes out here in this one, faces a little little tough times, gets her nose busted, asks her coach if her nose is busted. Jason Pearl is going to go ahead and lie straight face to you, which is what a good corner man does, is to just lie and then immediately change the subject. <laughs> like, Don't worry about your nose. Let's talk about some other stuff. And then we can deal with the fact that, yes, your nose is probably busted after the fight. But 
you you see her showing some signs of improvement and showing that she has the that the dog in her. She can get her nose busted and then she can come out later in that, especially that third round where it really kind of comes down to who can dig deep and and just put out more, just do more, attempt more offense. And in a fight that really kind of came down to grit in that sense, she pulled it out. And I think that it shows you like, okay, if you, if you have those things and you have your one specialty that you do really well, and you're showing signs of improvement in the other stuff, then maybe you can really go somewhere. Yeah. Jason Perillo telling McKenzie Dern her nose was fine. Maybe the greatest UFC corner man moment since Greg Jackson telling George St. Pierre, he didn't want to hear about his groin right now. Just like in the, uh, the great Nelson Algon short story where the guy at one point where he asked him like, how bad is my cut? And the corner man tells him like, okay, it's pretty bad. And then afterwards they get back in the locker room and he's like, listen, mister, you don't ever tell anybody he got a bad cut. You say it's just a scratch. And then later on, when the guy feels uh, in another fight where he feels the blood gushing down his head and he asks the guy, how bad's the cut? And he hears, it's just a scratch. And it's like, well, damn it. <laughs> uh, another thing that's amazing to me about Mackenzie Dern is that she just had a baby. Like yeah. mi- middle of 2019, I believe she had a baby. And she's out here fighting at a professional level, clearly making discernible strides in her skill set still as i said earlier only 27 years old and here's the thing about having a baby man it has never happened to me but i've watched it happen three times to another person in close proximity and that shit kind of fucks your body up growing another human being inside yourself like we as as gentlemen which the majority of our listeners obviously are i don't think fully appreciate enough that growing a baby inside your abdominal cavity basically just destroys all the muscles of your core, which are pretty important for grappling and fighting. And so for Mackenzie Dern to like be back out there a year and change after having a baby and also improving clearly during the training part of her early MMA career to me is, is admirable. Like that's, that's just pretty incredible. Like she dealt with a thing that uh, male fighters just don't ever deal with and is still out here looking improved every time we see her. Yeah. You know, I remember reading once uh, that the reason human babies, why the human body has a gestation period of nine months for the babies is not just not necessarily because we thought nine months is all it takes to really just grow a baby, but that nine months is kind of the upper limit until the baby so fully drains you of all power and nutrients that it kills the mother. Yeah. So go through all that and then want to turn right around and get back in that cage. That ain't yeah. easy. Yeah. My experience is at about nine months is where the uh, the mother – well, actually about like eight months is where the mother is like, I have to get this fucking thing out of my body. Stat. What can we do? Well, let's get a trampoline. Someone buy me a trampoline. Give me, give me some kind of tonic that's going to get this thing moving. And then I got to get right back in the octagon? Is that what you remember, right. Aaron? Yeah. You know, I got a date with random Marcos I got to make. Next question is we comes to us from the great Southern MMA fan. Well, all right. Right. Is it so surprising that Oliveira has grown into a phenomenal fighter at throw at, tw- at 31? He's grown up in the UFC fighting some of the best competition. We've seen this before. RDA was up and down and eventually rounded out his skills to become champ. Oliveira has rounded out. Do you think Chase Hooper at 21 can grow into the same championship caliber fighter as the two I just mes- mentioned? Thanks. And y'all be blessed. Thank you. Great Southern MMA fan for handing out the blessings. 
Uh, ben, I don't know where the Chase Hooper roller coaster is going, but I want to be on board. Okay. I just I mean, want to see where this thing takes us. Did you, did you get a little concerned maybe about where it was taking us, though? I mean, that's why it's a roller coaster, man. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. Okay. Which one was this? Was it entirely an up for you? Well, there were downs. Okay. <laughs> but then you're going to grab yourself a heel hook, third round heel hook. Can't hate on that. That's an up. Yeah. Um, I mean, this thing that was weird to me about watching this fight is we spend the first two rounds with Rogan basically saying this guy's not ready to be here. Like he doesn't, he's not this caliber of fighter yet. He's in over his head essentially, which for what you're seeing for a lot of the first two rounds feels kind of true. And you go, okay, so wait a minute. The UFC snatched this guy up super young, put a little hype on him. He's not, his game isn't fully rounded out. He's not really ready for this level. Then you're going to go in here and get him beat up a couple times. And it's starting to look like he's going to lose and be among the 60, uh, perhaps to be let go. And then he's going to be let go with at least this little bit of a stain where anybody who signs him after that and tries to make, like, you know, if he signs on with Bellator and goes on an unbeaten, like 16 fight run or something, people are going to be like, oh, he was a UFC cast off, couldn't make it there. And I, I mean, I agree with the, the core of the great Southern MMA fans question here, which is that sometimes we're a little quick to make these snap judgments in MMA and then stick with them. And then we end up getting surprised when somebody like Charles Oliveira manages to make the point like, Hey, I actually am really good. Might've stumbled one or two times here in the past, but that was on my way to becoming really good. And we see somebody like Chase Hooper and we're just making these snap judgments and being, okay, fine. He doesn't look like he has the striking. He can't do that part of it. And we just decide he sucks. And then he pulls out this win. I don't think that this win, especially the way he pulled it out necessarily negated any of the actual concerns. No, and, no. And yet it's going to keep him in a situation where, what now? Like, do you, do you give him somebody even tougher than that for his next fight? When clearly what we saw is that, he needs a little bit more development. Can you take Chase Hooper and Raphael Fazeev and just lock them in a room for like six months and say, Raphael, we need you to, to teach Chase everything you know about being on the feet. Chase, we need you to teach Raphael them heel hooks. Maybe I even th- film a reality show about it. I don't know. I think Raphael literally eats Chase in that scenario where you lock them in the room. Can we build a Frankenstein kind of machine that will put Raphael Fazeev's skills and Chase Hooper's skills in the same body? Maybe like Bob Sapp's body. <laughs> uh, that body's going to get tired very quickly, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's so young. He has so much time to learn and grow that he definitely can turn into a thing, but I've heard fighters say this before that, you know, the UFC is not the place to be trying to develop, you know, not the place to be a work in progress. You kind of better be pretty good when you get there. Otherwise you're going to get yourself in some trouble really quickly. And I mean, I thought it was a great feeling to see him be able to pull out this win in a fight where you're like, man, he doesn't really have many ways to get it to the ground and he's in trouble every second that he's not on the ground and then he finds a way to get it done. And I think that that's impressive and it's a feel good moment to watch him be able to do it. And yet it also seems like, man, you got some like whoever is going to fight you next saw this fight. 
they're going to have seen it by the time they fight you next. And you're not going to be able to get by on that for too long. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno, Ben, went out there on similarly short notice in your main event of UFC 256, the men's flyweight title on the line, and had an absolute gem en route to a majority draw. One judge scored it 48-46 for your guy, Davey Figs. The other two had it 47-47. Of course, we cannot forget that the champion was deducted a point in one of the late rounds for uh, for a low blow. Uh, what round was it? When did that happen? I think it was a third. Third or fourth? Yeah, third. Uh, so he, without that deduction, he probably wins a unanimous decision here over Brandon Moreno. Uh, but I guess let's just talk about the fight first. This was, this was a, uh, considering both guys here coming in on the heels of wins at UFC 255, I don't know what kind of performances we expected, but both dudes looked super sharp. Both dudes looked super game and both guys looked tough as hell. They both go the distance here in an action packed thrill ride and route to this, to this draw. Yeah. You know, not only was this just a fun fight to watch all the way through. Uh, and I, it's amazing to, to watch Figueredo fight because of the way he fights as a champion where he just gets out there in the first round and gets right up in Brandon Moreno's face and it's like yeah. hey hey bro would you like to brawl yes I love the way Davis and Figueredo fights like he's yeah he's not gonna make any bones about what's happening he considers himself to be the 125 pound bully out there and he's it's almost like this is a weird con- comparison to make considering that we're talking about a 125 pound man but it's almost like davis and figueredo has a similar philosophy as francis and gano where he's going to be like i'm going to engage you in a firefight perhaps a slightly more uh tactical firefight that you might see at heavyweight but i'm going to engage you in a firefight because i bet that i'm going to hurt you before you hurt me yeah, and he – you'd think – like the thing that kind of amazes me about him is there were a lot of reasons for him to just not be there and not be there like that Yeah, come Saturday night. Because for one thing, when you're the champion, they turn around and they say, hey, would you like to defend your belt again three weeks from now after your successful title defense? There's a whole lot of reasons to say no to that. Like as we've seen other champions go through, especially if you're not some superstar champion and he's not, you feel like the belt is the only thing that connects you to any chance of these big paydays. And once you lose that belt, there's no guarantee you'll ever even get another shot at it again. There's no guarantee you'll get any more opportunities to get close to it. It's the it's the lifeline to you. But the difference between just mediocre getting by money in the UFC and actually making some pro athlete money. And so we've seen other champions, and I don't say it as a knock on them, but people like Amanda Nunes, who like, you know, she has a sinus infection and is like, you know, I'm not going to fight. I feel like uh, I, if I'm in a situation where I feel like I've 
my ability to win is compromised. Why would I risk the belt? Because it is the most valuable part of all of this for me. And Figueredo not only accepts this fight with three weeks to prepare against Brandon Moreno, but then we are told afterwards spent pretty much all of the night and a little bit of the morning before the fight in the hospital with some sort of uh, stomach ailment, some stomach infection, something like that. And at that point, there's a whole lot of reasons for you not to go through with that fight. You know, already the three-week note is going to be tougher on the guy who is cutting more weight, which Figueredo is, than it is on Moreno. Moreno doesn't have that much to lose. They ask him, hey, three weeks, you want to turn around and go for it? Sure, man, it's a title shot. Like, that's what he's been waiting for. He doesn't He doesn't have as much to lose. Figueredo has a ton to lose. He still shows up in the cage, and not only after all that shows up, but shows up and then is just like, can I interest you in some bungalow throwing, please? For five goddamn rounds. And, yeah. And didn't really seem to get all that tired either, which I you thought know, was yeah, impressive. There were moments, right? Like you could see a couple moments where you're like, he looks like he's slowing down a little bit. That's one where you could honestly say, though, maybe the the groin kick did help him. Like he got the point deducted for it. And it was the right move to deduct the point for a couple reasons. One is that it's a, it was significant enough as a foul. Like Brandon Moreno was down there dry heaving like Chris Tushwer. And whenever you see that kind of thing happen, one, you go, this thing might not restart. And two, if it does restart, it that blow might have altered the course of the fight some way. So already it's significant enough that it, it warrants Jason Herzog taking a point away. But also the rest that Davy Figs buys for himself there might have been pretty significant for him because he was the one looking like he was starting to slow down a little bit more than Brandon Reno was. Yeah, the you know, there were some fight of the year nominations flying around for this thing after it was over. I still think Yajic against Wiley Zhang is probably the overall better fight, but yeah. like the fourth fourth round of this thing might have been the round of the year because that was where these two guys they had been getting after each other the whole time, but they even turned the volume up in the championship rounds. I will also say the UFC broadcast team put this thing over like mankind getting thrown off the top of the cell by the Undertaker. Like <laughs> If you wanted to make a Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier soundboard, all you need to do is take some samples from the main event of UFC 256, man, because especially that fourth round was mostly just noises. It was mostly just Rogan and uh, Daniel Cormier going, oh, Uh, which I loved it. I loved the whole thing. I loved everything about it. Uh, But this this was a great fight. Frankly, just the kind of thing I think that we feel like we needed to close out uh, an otherwise wretched 2020 uh, with a fun UFC fight card that maybe reminded a lot of people how good this game can be when it when is at the the highest level. Now let's talk rematch though here. Like as you said, you could you could put together a rematch here pretty easily, and more people are probably going to be interested in it than they were uh, theoretically for this fight because they they know that that the first one was a crackerjack. Maybe a lot of people will have missed this one live. And so that they might tune in to see the rematch, expecting some more fireworks here. But just considering that uh, Davison Figueredo had that point deducted, that he spent all night in the hospital, is there any reason to believe in your mind that that Brandon Moreno wins a rematch here when when he otherwise probably would have come up just a little bit short here in this in this fight? I don't know. I mean, you can't discount entirely the possibility that. He got in there with the champ, his first really big fight of his career, his first title fight. He got a chance to see what 
Davy Figs brings, what, what it's like to be in there in the cage with him, and maybe he retools after that and comes up with a better way to beat the guy. I mean, especially he seemed to be working him a little bit with the takedowns early on, and that maybe you, if you focus more on that, maybe you just learn some stuff from the first fight that helps you out, because it's not like it was a blowout by any means. No, certainly not. And you can't take anything away from Brandon Moreno's performance. Like he was, he looked great in this thing and he also didn't get tired. He also accepted some monster shots and he was there, you know, as much as Davidson Figueredo was aggressive in this thing, Brandon Moreno was right in his face as well all the way through. So if we decide we're going to run it back at flyweight, I got no problem with that. I think that that seems potentially like the move to do. Uh, we had no, it's the only move to do. And plus, like, what are you going to, what else are you going to do? Cody yeah, Garbrandt not- is sitting around there still coming off the COVID. Doesn't sound like he sounds like he was hopeful that maybe he would be back in March, but I don't, I, a little extra time might be a good thing for him after dealing with all that. that's a lot to deal with. And uh, this fight just, you, you have a real potential now to get people interested in a flyweight title fight, just because I'm sure there's a whole lot of people who sat out UFC 256 because they were going, uh, you know, I don't care that much about flyweights or, you know, it, this one doesn't have anything that I feel like I absolutely got to see. I'll catch the highlights on Twitter or whatever. And then everybody spends Saturday night freaking out all over the Internet about how great this is. And then when you get the rematch, I think you get some more people to go, OK, I'm in for this one. And and maybe that's just the just the kind of chance that somebody needed to to have people give the flyweight division. Right. And as you said, there's there's not a lot of new business pounding on the door demanding to get done immediately. I do wonder what kind of figure Davidson Figueredo can be in this division. You know, as you implied earlier, I don't know that the way he fights is uh, necessarily going to cement him as like a longtime champion. He seems like something of a risk taker out there. Uh, basically just betting that his physical skills are going to be better than yours and he's he's going to rock them, sock them robots and see see which way it comes out. But at the same time, he seems like he could be somewhat popular to me because of that approach and because he is a little bit of a colorful character outside the cage, uh, you know, and maybe he has the ability to uh, craft more stoppages than a, than a guy like uh, uh, Demetrius Johnson did when he was the champion. Maybe has can be a little bit more endearing than a guy like Henry Cejudo when he was the champion. Uh, I, if it plays out that way and if Davison Figueredo can put together a string of at least a few wins here. If he is good enough to get a few wins as a 125 pound champion, I really honestly don't know at that point what your knock could be against the flyweight division, uh, except you're just going to discount the fact that they're 125 pounds, even though we don't at this point appear to attach the same stigma to 135 or 145 pounds. Yeah. And that's kind of been the story for, lighter weight divisions in MMA from the beginning, right? Like remember there was a time when people would be like, ah, 155 pounds, too small. Nobody gives a shit. And now that sounds like absolutely insane talk. So yeah, I mean, when they get in there and they give you a great fight like that, I think everybody forgets about it pretty quickly and you just need people to give them the opportunity like that. And I mean, but it's worth remembering that the UFC is still – itself kind of coming around to the flyweights like as much as the ufc now is going to want to be like hey we've been telling you guys that these 125 pounders are great and uh you know dana white talking about how like oh mick maynard really fixed this division and everything and it's like yeah you guys were ready to let brandon moreno go like two years ago like it, brandon moreno was talking about how he I ha- assumed that he still had a job until he found out that, oh, wait, he didn't. And then he was like, oh, does that mean I have to go up to bantamweight? Are you guys getting rid of flight? And they're like, eh, bantamweight's kind of full guy. 
And it was like, oh, okay. And like they, as much as the UFC will turn around and be like, okay, hey, we've been telling you about these guys. There were times where you weren't so sure about it either. So I, I think it just kind of needs everybody to give it a look. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then uh, we will move on to round number two. Ben, I'm going to say this and I mean it sincerely. And I mean it with a full heart. I kind of love Dr. Joe Rogan going all in on diagnosing fighter injuries in real time, like with such unbelievable certainty. He's been doing it for years, almost as long as I can recall watching the UFC. Just it makes me laugh every single time, man. Just absolutely all in, absolutely sure that Brandon Moreno broke his arm in this fight, only to find out later. No, nah, Moreno's Moreno's fine. His, his, he popped his shoulder out, but he thinks he's okay. I mean, I don't even mean it as a criticism. Like, it legitimately makes me laugh, and I find it endearing. Are you fucking kidding me? I kind of love it. Fucking kidding me? Also, I want to read you this quote from Brandon Moreno. To be honest, I feel too much pain in all my body. That was a post-fight comment from Brandon Moreno. Ben, when was the last time that you felt too much pain in all your body? Well, every morning, but uh, I assume we have different thresholds for that kind of thing. I'll say this. If he did feel too much pain in all his body, he came by it honestly. Yeah. yeah. Well, this week, Chad, my are you fucking kidding me? Did you catch the little hype piece that we ran on Kevin Holland prior to his fight with Jacare Souza, wherein Dana White tells a fun story? Yeah, he sure does. About, you know, seeing Kevin Holland and deciding, you know, like, oh, he's on the contender series, looks good. You know, goes out there, wins this fight, but just wouldn't wouldn't stop talking. The guy talks too much. Dana White said, ah, you know, he looks good, won his fight, but I'm not going to sign him. And then when he does finally get signed is because we need a short notice replacement and nobody will take the fight. And Dana White says in his own version of events that he told his people, call Big Mouth. Let's see if Big Mouth will take this fight that nobody else wants for good reason. And he does. He comes in there and takes the fight and loses. It seems like the UFC like put this forward as if it was supposed to be like a fun rags to riches kind of story. Mm-hmm. Greatest but, promoter of all time. But really it just kind of makes you look like you don't know what you're doing because you're saying in this sport where what we're selling is personality as well as athletic ability, a guy who came in and won and was talking up the whole time and really getting himself noticed in that way. And you said, no, I don't want that. He, even though he looks like he can physically do the job. And as we've seen afterwards, actually turns out to be a fucking awesome fighter. You were like, no, no, I don't want that. I want this guy with personality coming in here, actually with an ability to, to do a little self-promotion. Who wants that? You fucking kidding me? You think this, this story reflects well on you? Because it does not. It does not. <laughs> Remember when the UFC almost didn't sign Conor McGregor because he talked too much? Oh, wait, no. <laughs> they didn't do that. If only I could figure out what the difference is. Okay, here we God. go. All right, well, I'll figure it out. We'll come back to it. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
Jed, I've come up with a new way for everybody to figure out what type of MMA fan they are. There's two types for the purposes of this discussion. Type one is the kind of people who saw Charles Oliveira lock Tony Ferguson up in an arm bar at the end of round one, extend that bad boy all the way, and they knew. They were able to do the math in their heads. They knew Tony Ferguson was not going to want to tap to that thing. They also knew Charles Oliveira had it, had it all the way, and was ready to lean deep into it. The question is, are you the type that stares intently at that place where the forearm meets the bicep? Or are you the type like Daniel Cormier and I who look away because we feel like we know what's coming and we've seen it before and we do not want a single one of those instances more than there already are in our brains seared there forever. And we, we, we feel like it's coming and you know what we don't need to actually see the moment. Which this type is, are you? This is the Cormier-Rogan distinction? Yeah. I'm with Cormier, man. I've seen these before. I feel like I've seen too many of them. Each time, I feel like it chips away at my humanity in some fashion. I don't want, like, I can take all other kind of grizzly injuries. I cannot take this one. And so when it was happening, I was like, no, no, I will, I will listen and I will find out what happens that way. But I looked away. Did you look away or did you keep staring right at the sun i stared straight into the void man joe rogan style with a big old blunt in one hand and a kettlebell shaped like an ape's head in the other just high as fuck on mdma waiting for tony ferguson's elbow to pop the wrong way i knew it i absolutely knew it Look, man i was there live when frank Mir broke tim sylvia's arm okay it, it ain't it ain't getting any worse than that. I was there live when Frank Mir broke Antonio uh, Noguera's arm, and then afterwards Noguera lay there on his back and kind of lifted up his head to look at it as if it was a strange alien thing that had fallen into the cage and not his own arm. And I have never forgotten it, and I never will forget it. And I don't need any more of those rattling around up here in the noggin. What was the point during this fight when you realized Tony Ferguson was in trouble? Was it when? Charles Oliveira got the body lock slam takedown on him in the first round, or did you need more proof than that? When Oliveira got to mount and was able to stay there, that's when I went, okay, you got a problem here and you don't seem able to address it. And he just didn't, uh, like, you just didn't see an a appropriate adjustment from Tony Ferguson after that point either. He just didn't really have an answer for anything Charles Oliveira was doing. To be fair, though, like, I th- this outcome does not surprise me. Like it, it, it seemed like a tough fight for Tony Ferguson and like the kind that was going to signal whether he was going up or going down. Anyway, yeah. Charles Oliveira is a good damn fighter, man. It surprised me a little bit the way he was able to beat Tony Ferguson and just to completely dominate him on the mat for so long and just control him that easily because you don't see people do that very often. But I don't think it was a huge shock to find out that Charles Oliveira, who people have kind of not paid as much attention to as he warrants, just because he felt like a kind of forgettable guy in this division, you know, especially considering all the big personalities and big winning streaks and stuff that we've seen at lightweight. He he's someone who I guess it's a little too easy to ignore, but has turned into just a super good fighter. Yeah. 31 years old and creeping up on 30 fights in the UFC, I believe, for Charles 
Oliveira da Silva, aka Chucky Olives, aka Du Bronx, aka King Chuck. Uh, yeah, this and this is this is a certainly a a coming out party for Oliveira. Like at this point, you can't deny that guy top contender status. Although he enters into now a lightweight title picture that's that is still somewhat unclear and somewhat fractured because we have not given up on the idea of Habib Nurmagomedov's return. You also have Conor McGregor about ready to, to get a scrap on for the second time with Dustin Poirier coming up in January. Uh, I don't think that Charles Oliveira as number one contender is going to be the thing that lures Habib Nurmagomedov out of retirement. Uh, so you might, you might be looking at, at uh, McGregor versus Poirier being the front runner for that, for that, opportunity if indeed that can even be possible and any way you go it leaves charles Oliveira in a somewhat unusual position because i don't know if if habib is even gone for good and we decide we're going to do an interim title thing or we're going to put the we're going to have a number one contender fight or a championship fight between Oliveira and whoever wins mcgregor and poirier that the at the in this division right now every single way forward just seems fraught with peril to me yeah I could see that. I mean, unless you have, I don't know, crazy idea like a lightweight tournament. God, it's, just, it's like I'm hosting a podcast with Scott Coker all of a sudden. It's like every time I turn around, hey, let's have a tournament. Let's do a tournament at 205. Let's do a tournament at 155. I agree with you. There would be almost nothing cooler in the UFC landscape than a 155-pound tournament. But we also know there's no way on God's green earth that the greatest fight promoter that the Lord has ever made uh is going to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think right now everybody's sitting around waiting to see what happens in January when uh, Poirier and McGregor fight, because if McGregor wins that, then you know, the UFC push will be to get Khabib to come back and do a rematch with Conor McGregor. And who knows, maybe between his manager and Dana White all working on him and uh, they call up his mom and get her to give his her blessing. Maybe they convince him and they get in there and everybody gets to make one more big payday before Khabib pieces out the sport. But you're right. If Poirier wins, eh, you know, you don't really see a big upside or a big fan, uh, like passion for a, so soon after their first fight, Poirier and Khabib again, because it feels like we already know it's not going to add bring the big superstar numbers like Conor McGregor does, even though we know how that one's going to go too. And then you're right. It looks like, okay, would you let, can we interest you in a fight with Charles Oliveira? I mean, probably not. And then I don't know, unless you can just talk the guy into the idea of being champ again and sticking around for a while as champ. It doesn't seem like that matchup or the the promise of whatever think you're going to make on pay-per-view from that fight is going to be enough to make him fight again if he doesn't already want to. But then, I, I, I mean, what do you do? Do you just would, go winner of Poirier McGregor versus Charles Oliveira for a vacant title? I mean, I was just going to say, I think that you, that also sounds like a tough fight to you're going to have to interest Conor McGregor in if he wins that fight. But if Dustin Poirier won, you know, he'd be game. And frankly, as a hardcore MMA fan, give me Dustin Poirier versus Charles Oliveira and I will take it walking away. Give it to me. It's mine because that is an awesome, awesome fight. Uh, let's talk for a second about Tony Ferguson here. 
We had discussed at length several times over leading up to this fight that this was going to be an interesting litmus test for where he is at coming in off that loss to Justin Gaethje back at UFC 249. His first loss since 2012, he had won a dozen fights in a row. Now he comes in, and as I believe Daniel Cormier noted during this Charles Oliveira fight, lost every round, which essentially means uh, he lost the last eight rounds that he has been in as a professional MMA fighter. I don't want to be unfair to Tony Ferguson because uh, he has been a longtime favorite, I think, of this show and a longtime favorite of a lot of people to watch. At 36 years old, did he look old to you in this fight? He, I got to admit, man, he looked a little bit old to me. And I don't know if that's just like he's he's had some physical changes. He changed his hair, shaved his head a little bit because he's got the receding hairline going on. He just... He just didn't look like the Tony Ferguson who whooped up on, uh, turned all those dudes into like a fucking meat grinder in a row, you know, in, in 2015 to 2019, basically. Well, I mean, a lot of people are going to look old when they're getting tossed around like a bag of flour inside the cage. Like that, you you don't look good in that moment. So I, I could see that a little bit. It does seem though, like, and I think a lot of people were worried about this just in general, that he's coming up on his 37th birthday here in a couple months. And that beating he took that prolonged beating he took against Justin Gaethje, that has to knock some, some years off. Doesn't it? Stuff like that has to take a toll, even on somebody who is as unique in so many ways as Tony Ferguson. I don't know. You know, I was thinking about it today after people were asking me in the mailbag thing about like, I can see people coming out out of this fight and going, when you see how easily this version of Tony Ferguson got handled by Charles Oliveira on the mat, then doesn't it make you think we didn't miss out on much when the Khabib Tony fight was canceled due to COVID stuff back in the spring? Doesn't it just make you think that Khabib would have buzzsawed his way through him even worse? And it does kind of, and yet also like, there's another part of me, it goes, it just makes me sadder that we didn't see it two years ago or whatever, back when Tony was closer to his prime. Yeah. Uh, I will say, even though I doubt that we will see it, uh, Charles Oliveira versus Sabine Nurmagomedov would be an, an interesting matchup, man. Just considering how they both fight and, and the, uh, the transitions that Oliver was hitting here against Tony Ferguson were crazy. Just just crazy stuff on the ground from from Oliver. I mean, looked good all over. Just shocking, shockingly good everywhere for Charles Oliver. Well, I mean, to be honest, like I don't think it was that much of a shock. It was like especially I was surprised when I saw that he was a slight underdog against Tony Ferguson, and I kind of chalked it up to name recognition more than anything else because Charles Oliver has done Ben good. For a little while now, the, the question is, if even if you did manage to convince Khabib to come in there and fight Charles Oliveira, I don't know if his style matches up particularly well for that fight. Well, Khabib would have to spend a lot of time on the ground. Well, that's what he likes to do anyway. That's what uh, Chucky Olives likes to do, too. Okay. Some shit, man. All right. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back. Round number three.
the usual caveats all apply. COVID-19 notwithstanding, knock on wood, card subject to change. This thing could get uh, scrambled at any point next week. But the existing fight card, as I'm looking at it at this moment, as we record, Monday, December 14th, the year of our Lord 2020, approximately 3.07 p.m. in the one true time zone, UFC Fight Night 183 looks kind of awesome. Steven Thompson versus Jeff Neal in your main event. Jose Aldo against Marlon Vera in your co-main. Michael Piera coming in to fight Chaos Williams. When did that happen? Michelle um, Piera, but yeah, yeah. That, that, you, where, didn't we actually discuss that booking on this here podcast where we were talking about how we're going to have our flippy times and then our, our, our crazy striking times. And it looks like we might only get three minutes of it, but God, it'll be three minutes to remember. Yeah, I, I, I must have forgot that because I saw it on the, on the bout order today and like a, like a, uh, a Southern bell of the late 1800s. I had to unfold a fan and fan myself off. Go to your fainting couch. Marlon Moraes against Rob Font. Marcine Tibera against Greg Hardy. We can take a bathroom break there. Uh, Anthony Pettis versus Alex, Alex Morano. And then, of course, Bilal Muhammad against Diego Lima. Ciara Eubanks. Uh, Duran Wynn at a catch weight at 195 pounds. So, you know, fun stuff happening or scheduled to happen, I guess I should say, at this fight night event. Could it be, folks? I don't... I don't even know if that I want to speak these words into existence. Could it be that we get two super rad UFC cards to essentially close out 2020? Well, I assume that because you went and talked about it like this, that by the time somebody listens to this podcast, maybe they, they save it for Tuesday, their Tuesday commute to work. I assume that by then, the entire fight card will have been canceled due to a combination of COVID, cholera, and dysentery. Yeah, as we record this right now, Chaos Williams has probably been hit by a car. Uh, Stephen Thompson has been run in on an old warrant that nobody knew that he had from a previous life. Jeff Neal has been bitten by a shark. Uh, anything could happen yeah. to screw this thing up. But but on paper Marlon right Maurice now. Marlon locked in a bank vault somehow. Can't get out. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Chad. Thanks a lot for talking it up. You're right. Right now, you look at it, and uh, especially when you look at it and you say, okay, we're just coming off what might have been the best pay-per-view of the year and is the last pay-per-view of the year. Here we are with the last fight night event of the year, and it looks like it got a dope. Yeah. Jeff Neal, 30 years old, speaking of embarrassment of riches, undefeated in the UFC, a winner of seven in a row, most recently the TKO over Mike Perry, the TKO over Nico Price. Head kick knockout of Frank Camacho, submission on Brian Camozzi, sprinkled in a decision victory over, you remember the name, Bilal Muhammad in the middle of that. But uh, another one of these guys who is just seemingly awesome and developing before our eyes against uh, the Wonder Man, who is going to come into this thing having defeated Vicente Luque in November of last year. But prior to that, just won three and one in his last five. You know, it would be really awesome as if the UFC took Kevin Holland up on his suggestion to go ahead and book him versus Kamzat Chimaev. Can you even imagine that one added to this? Can you even fathom it? Uh, this week? Yeah. Can we do that? Is that even legal? It shouldn't be. 
But that was his idea. He was like, that's what he does, right? As he turns around and he books these fights really quick, short together, like, I'll go ahead and I'll do it. And uh, then just kind of crickets. And he was like, no, we got we got a plan for that guy. We're not I mean, interested in having you ruin how the, the UFC, fun. How the UFC wouldn't like the guy, right? Just constantly with his great ideas. Offering to turn right around and fight a week after uh, a big knockout victory over an MMA legend. Nah, what's, the ben, what's the Ben Folks main event on this upcoming fight card? What's the thing you're looking forward to the most here out of this whole thing? Well, you know me and you know that I don't have to remember the name because I never forgot the name. <laughs> but my guy Bilal Muhammad not only is a good fighter, but has really won me over with his Twitter presence of late. Him versus Diego Lima. Uh, that, that seems like a fun one on the prelims. But I got, I mean, Michelle Piera versus Chaos Williams yeah. is yeah. some absolutely just freakish athleticism, power, and craziness all mushed together in one cage. Don't go get a sandwich during this one. No. Because I don't think you're going to be there too long, and uh, I, it, it's going to be over all at once. Don't get caught looking at your phone during this one. Yeah, that's the that's definitely the Chad Dundas main event. I'll be sitting there Joe Rogan style with my spliff and my kettlebell, staring into the void that is Mikey Piera against Chaos Williams. Uh, you got to make sure be- you remember to switch hands on the spliff and the kettlebell. Otherwise, one arm is going to be huge and the other one is just going to be your spliff hand. Just <laughs> Well, that's what I'll tell people. They'll be like, hey, well, why do you have these huge muscles on this one arm? I'll be like, well, that's, that's my work arm. This over here, that's my spliff arm. I just feel like maybe with a little planning, we can avoid getting to that point. What about Jose Aldo here against Cheeto Vera? That's going to be a, uh, an interesting thing. Jose Aldo, obviously... Now, having lost three in a row, although we all uh, we saw the the split against Marlon Moraes, the one the UFC essentially took as a win, uh, got him TKO'd against Peter Yawn in the final round there in July of this year for the for the vacant title. But uh, I don't know, man. Like I'm still interested to see what what Jose Aldo can do against uh, Cheeto Vera, a guy who's who's been pretty darn good over the last couple of years. Yeah, although. I got to say, I mean, I agree with you that this three-fight winning streak looks worse on paper than it actually was. The The Peter Yan one, he looked okay until Peter Yan just essentially took over and then just started brutalizing him. But with Jose Aldo now, I feel like, are we getting into that territory where he's JDS versus Cyril gone? Like, I, you know, that was one that kind of made me sad at UFC 256, watching JDS get knocked out and then spend a lot of the post fight talking about whether he thought he was hitting the back of the head and everybody's kind of going, bro, it doesn't really matter that much. You were already on your way out there. And I don't know. It feels like Jose Aldo is edging towards one of those nights here. I don't know if Marlon Vera is really the guy to go out there and give it to him, but, uh, this is this might be a little bit of a bellwether fight for him. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and do uh, just saying stuff, and then uh, we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, I'm just saying I don't want I don't like to say it, but this week I'm just saying, man, if I'm Junior Dos Santos, or if I'm Jacare Souza, I'm just not answering my phone for a while. I'm just maybe I pretend like I lost it. Maybe I pretend like I changed my number. If I'm looking on the caller ID and I see a Las Vegas area code, I'm not answering. Because I personally will be real surprised if we get to 2021 and Juju Santos and Jacare Souza are still on the UFC roster. 
I'm just saying. Yeah. And fun fact, if they don't actually make contact with you, they can't cut you, right? No, I mean, that's just what you do. If you're, if you're JDS, like everybody loves you, right? You just show up at the next UFC being like, hey, it's me, Junior Dos Santos. Who am I, I fighting? I assume I have a fight here. <laughs> yeah. Like I brought my gear. I got my gear. You need anybody? You make them tell you to your face, Junior, you've been cut. I got bad news. Yeah. You know what? I don't think they're going to have a problem doing that. <laughs> to be honest. Jed, I'm just saying, uh, earlier or last week, I guess it was, I happened to see a video on the internet where Stephen Thompson was talking about his love of playing uh, video games online and how into it he gets and how he even be known to drop some swears. And then jokingly, in a, in a joking described scenario, use the F word. And I realized it was a joke and that he was just kidding around. And yet it was still so jarring. See Stephen Thompson, the Wonder Man, use the F word. And then I got a great idea. Stephen Thompson's feeling like he's not getting the same attention these guys like Kamzat Chameyev are getting guys who are new on the scene. He feels like he's been here doing it for years and years, has earned a little more respect maybe than he's getting. I'm just saying, Chad, what if this one, this main event bout he's got here against Jeff Neal, is the one where Stephen Thompson walks out on fight night Hollywood Hogan NWO style. I'm talking the really super black stubble with a a blonde mustache, the black do-rag, the black sunglasses, maybe even get one of those replica belts that you can play like a guitar. Just lean all the way into like how, how absolutely shocking it would be to see somebody like Stephen Thompson become a bad guy who when he, you go to interview him after the fight ESPN plus can't even can't air a single second of it wow just nasty stuff wow it's just like he starts out with your mother's cunt and it just goes down from there wow can you imagine of stuff, speaking of stuff I didn't know we were going to talk about you will not be able to ignore that man headed into 2021 I'm just saying well on that note I suppose we're done we worked in a reference to your mother's cunt, and now we're out of here. So we can all look back with, with a sense of satisfaction and consider this a job well done. Remember, fun stuff happening all week on the uh, Patreon page. Wednesday, the live chat. Anything goes there. Then on Thursday, our discussion of Lethal Weapon. Not just Lethal Weapon, we should say, Ben, to make sure that the people know this, but the director's cut. Director's cut. That's right. Of Lethal Weapon. And then coming up on Friday, of course, uh, the power hour, like we always do. So if you want to jump on board with that, you can join us over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Three easy tiers through which you can support keeping the discourse unfettered on this show. As for right now, though, thanks for joining us. But we are done. We are through. We are out. For, for the record, I just want to say I didn't mean your mother's cunt. I feel like you've been saving that one up for a while. Like you've had it saved in drafts. I meant just kind of the the royal we, the, yeah. the collective Metaf- mother's cunt. Metaphorically speaking. Yeah, well, right. my mom's going to be pissed when she listens to the show, dude. i got to be honest with you. I hope she listens to this part so she knows it's, it's not it's not directed at her. No, she cuts it off as soon as the, uh, as soon as the outro music hits. Well, she, ain't, she's got, she doesn't have time to listen to this meaningless banter. She's just here for the hardcore MMA news. I'm going to start writing my uh, apology note right now. 
that's good. She she enjoys a, a nice handwritten apology. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Honestly. <laughs> <laughs>